Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Tuesday, October 16th, 2018, starting at 1.44 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 176th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Tony Howard about what it takes to make it as a professional astrologer in the early 21st century. Uh, hey, Tony, thanks for joining me. Hey, Chris. All right. So uh, this is your second appearance on the show. The last episode we did was uh, late last year, we did an episode with uh, Cassandra Tyndall, and that was on how to find a professional astrologer from like a client perspective. But today I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about what it takes to actually become or what it takes to to make it as a, as an astrologer in the early 21st century and to have a successful practice and that there's like many different hats that you have to wear at this point in time in order to to pull that off I think right yeah for sure and there at least there are a lot of different choices and there's a lot of different paths you can take there are a lot of different uh, paths open to to folks that some folks might not even be aware of so happy to talk about that with you today brilliant all right and for for a little bit of background on this, part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is your introduction to the astrological community almost a decade ago was that you launched this website called findanastrologer.com where you were you're sort of setting up like a a database or a classified section where astrologers could list their services and it would be an easy place to go and like find astrologers basically and through that you ended up actually Building some pretty close connections with some major leading astrologers in the community, and eventually became kind of like a manager of sorts to some pretty big um, astrologers like Demetra George, Stephen Forrest. Um, who are some of the other astrologers that you work with pretty closely? Uh, Mark Jones, Lynn Bell, Darby Costello, uh, and Kelly Surtees. Actually, help. I've been helping Kelly Surtees in the last couple of years, who you know very well. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I've uh, heard of her once or twice, <laughs> and um, and a few people before that as well. Uh, so, and I, actually, technically, I started working with uh, some of those folks before find an astrologer. So, I was just doing that behind the scenes. So, brilliant. So, you, you've kind of played this sort of support role for some of them, and that's interesting to me because it gives you really deep sort of behind the scenes insight into what it takes to have a successful astrological practice at this point. And I thought you would be a good person to talk to then uh, for this topic. So I recently launched a course called the Professional Astrologer Course, where I'm trying to help people make the transition both into doing astrology full-time, but also figuring out different strategies for how to be successful at doing it and not just like scrape by, but actually make a reasonable living doing what you love as an astrologer. So I wanted to talk to you because one of the things that that seems like it's come up is that the practice of astrology and how astrologers are becoming successful is a little bit different now in what are we towards the end of the second decade of the 21st century. Things have changed a little bit. And it seems like astrologers are diversifying what their offerings are a little bit more than it was a few decades ago. Do you would you say that that's an accurate statement to make? Definitely. And it's, it's uh, for all the reasons that we know, it's mostly technology and the resources that we have available through technology now that have really changed the, the playing field. Um, and, uh, and because of that, there are more choices that just weren't available um, several years ago. Right. So, and, and you've got, you're involved in a lot of those. So you do a lot of website design work. Um, you help a lot of astrologers to develop 
uh, content for their websites, both content on in terms of like writing articles or doing videos, but also doing webinars, which is a, is a relatively new thing in the past decade or so as a, as a common thing. You also are starting to help organize some like online conferences and summits. You actually have one coming up at the end of this month, right? Yeah, definitely through Astrology University, um, which is uh, yeah just a, a labor of love uh, pet project of mine. Right. Yeah, that's one of your other many websites, astrologyuniversity.com, where you sort of bring together a bunch of those different astrologers for um, selling classes, but also doing webinars and other things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we uh, we have a whole great, amazing crew of, of folks uh, delivering webinars um, pretty much every two weeks. We sometimes do more if there's a special need that arises, for instance, a really important planetary ingress like Jupiter changing signs. Um, and uh, if, if one of my astrologers just has like, uh, some of them have really great creative muses that are not always turned on. And when they turn on, we want to kind of seize the moment. <laughs> so right. we'll do some extras thrown in there. But but pretty much every two weeks, we have a, a webinar going on some specialized topic. Um, and we're also working on developing a, a two and a four year curriculum for folks as well. So I'll be rolling that out um, hopefully next year. Brilliant. And the webinar this month is on the topic of destiny, right? Yeah. So this is a summit. So it's, we have uh, 14 speakers talking over two days. It's actually free to watch for, for two days if you can tune in uh, while it's happening. So each talk will be up there for about 24 hours for free. And the, the, the theme is uh, destiny and life purpose. So um, within that theme, I'm, I've left each astrologer a, a lot of free reign to kind of um, share anything that they want to share under that, under that theme. And and uh, remarkably, everyone came up with a really different topic. And so it's going to be really cool. I'm excited. Awesome. Cool. All right. So let's see, where do we get into here? One of the questions, one of the interesting like topics of discussion today that I wanted to touch on first was we had a discussion like a month or two ago about the, the feasibility of you know a person making that transition into becoming a professional astrologer and how easy or hard it is. And we, yeah, we sort of discussed that because you had partially an opinion that it, it can be kind of tough or it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of um, enthusiasm in order to do what it takes probably in order to make it and become really successful in the field, right? Yeah, I think we started that conversation because uh, when people are just getting started, um, so what happens usually is that somebody gets a reading or they get a deeper experience of astrology and they sort of get bitten by the astrology bug. And they're like, oh, I want to learn more. And they start digging in and they think, oh, it'd be really cool to be a professional astrologer myself. I want to do that. And they don't always, because astrology is not taught at university and there aren't as many kind of like, there are programs out there that are systematic, but the general public doesn't necessarily know how to find them or even know that they exist. So if you're just kind of shooting in the dark and doing an internet search, you may or may not stumble on one of those sources, um, uh, like, you know, like Opa, for instance, you were talking to Opa recently, uh, the organization for professional astrologers or any of the astrology organizations. Um, if you just do a Google search for astrology, you may not, you may not hit one of those, uh, organizations. And so, um, there can be, there's a preconception I come across that people think, okay, well, I'll just study astrology for like a year and then I'll become a professional astrologer um, right. and it'll, it'll all be great. Right. And, and, um, I just think that uh, what you find when you do study astrology for a year is that 
is that you want to learn more and that there's a lot more to learn. And most people need a little bit longer than that to both feel proficient and then to, to start setting up a professional practice. Yeah. So it's not, this is not like a get rich quick scheme. This is a, a major sort of lifelong commitment. And it's something that, that takes a while to sort of build up to. And you actually mentioned a specific time frame where you felt like you thought about four years is probably the point at which either most people start feeling comfortable or in which maybe it's, I don't want to say appropriate, but how would you frame that? But you, you were talking about like a four year sure. range, maybe. I like the word appropriate in certain situations, but um, I, th- I think of it more as a word uh, appropriate to you. Like there's a time where it feels appropriate to you. It's like, there's a time when you feel ready. I mean, we always, when we're launching a new career, there's always a moment where we're kind of like jumping out there before we feel totally ready. I guess, especially if we have a lot of Virgo planets, like someone I know, uh, but, right. but, um, and so you do have to push yourself up against the edge in that moment and take a leap of faith. But there's also a moment where you just really realize you're not ready. For instance, you, um, you pull up a chart, let's say you're practicing, um, reading charts for the first time where you've learned enough techniques that you feel like you can open up a chart and start to analyze it with the techniques that you've learned. And you just feel totally stumped. You, at that point, you might not be really ready. You you know, what I'm trying to say is, you know, inside when you're really not ready and you really need to put in a little bit more work, but I might just have that four year number in my head because of that's how long it takes to get an undergraduate degree. In fact, I, I, probably bet money as to that's why I think that. Um, and I think that it's not an accident that we, that that's how long it takes to get an undergraduate degree. I think that that's a really solid number for putting in a serious amount of time studying something. And, and at that four-year mark, you, you really do realize you can look back at the one-year mark and you can see your progress and you can realize what you really didn't know at, at that one-year mark. And you, 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 uh, you can really, um, see the value in having put in that much time of study. I've also met people in the field who have been studying astrology for, they say, 15 years, and they still feel like they're not ready. Um, At some point, there's a self-confidence issue, I think, that comes into play too. And after 15 years, my bet is that that person could sit down with someone in a a reading context and, and talk for a good hour with them and have really valuable insights to share. Yeah, that's the the tricky thing is that there's some kind of um balance there that's difficult to figure out where some of the better astrologers or the more thoughtful astrologers I've noticed will often put off making that transition perhaps longer than they should and that they could have actually started seeing clients much earlier but because they're aware of how much they still don't know about astrology because it is a lifelong study they maybe put it off too much not realizing that nobody ever gets to that point where they're just you know, they know everything there is to know about astrology and they don't need to learn anything more because in reality, even the most, the oldest and most established astrologers in the field are still learning things all the time. Perhaps even from every new client you see has a unique chart and you learn something unique about the way that they manifested those, those placements. I mean, would you say that that's the case for some of the, the older astrologers that you work with? I mean, are they still learning and sort of growing as astrologers in some ways? The ones I love the most are <laughs> okay, <laughs> because you can really see when uh, you really know uh, when somebody when when the art is really alive in them because they are eternally curious um, and they are still learning because there always is something new to learn. I I think that every chart is unique 
and every chart has something new to teach us. And even though you may have seen a Venus square Saturn before, you haven't necessarily seen it in the context of that chart that you're looking at and in the context of the transits and the moment that that person's going through. Every moment is kind of arising anew and unique and and being open to seeing what that is and not thinking always that you know what that is, I think makes for a really wonderful astrologer. That's the kind of astrologer I'd like to sit with, um, somebody who's present to the moment with me in that moment. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I, there's some people that maybe put that off too far. And also there's a, only a certain, like you can only go so far with book learning, but at some point, one of the things that people have to realize is that you actually, astrologers learn a lot by sitting with clients and, and going through charts on a day-to-day basis because you learn something new from each client. So there's some point in your studies where if you don't start actually reading charts for strangers, you're actually sort of stunting your growth in some way. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, I think that that's something also that needs to happen a little bit earlier in the learning process is you don't need to wait until you feel like you know everything because number one, you're not ever going to feel like that. I'm sorry, but if, as, if you really are starting to learn astrology, there's just an endless amount. And then um, there are always uh, new books and approaches and people doing research projects and some new book being translated. So there's always, always, always something more to learn. But at some point, you do have to get your feet wet and just jump in, even though you don't know a lot, because part of learning astrology is starting to read charts. And so even if it's just looking at the charts of famous people, if you're not feeling, if you don't feel comfortable talking to a friend or a family member and letting them kind of let you practice with them, um, at least pulling up the charts of famous people and taking what you know about that person's life or what you can glean by even just reading a Wikipedia entry on them. And then seeing if you can see that in the chart reflected in the chart, maybe looking at some things that are happening in their life and see if you can connect that to transits. That'll, that'll go a long way too. But at some point you do have to kind of just jump in and say to a friend, Hey, I'm learning astrology. Do you mind if I practice with your chart and, 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 and and really uh, do that because a lot of people put that off for too long because of confidence issues, and it is part of the learning process. Like if we have a, you know, if as I'm creating a four year program for Astrology University or even a two year program, that'll that'll just be a part of the program. That's something that you'll you'll be required to do because it is such a crucial part of the learning process. So I'm not saying that somebody has to wait four years to read charts. Not at all. Um, what I'm saying is that when you read charts in year one, and then you read charts in year four, you're going to notice a qualitative difference in your own skills. Yeah. I mean, there's something, I think it was around four years or so into my studies that I probably started reading charts for clients or like accepting small amounts of money so that there was some exchange between myself and whoever's chart I was reading, even though it was just like maybe a few dollars initially. That And, and that really was like a, a transition point but it's something that I definitely, I think around the four-year mark, probably started feeling comfortable to start making that transition at least. Yeah. And I think that's a really important topic. I feel like you and Austin talked about that recently about the exchange um, and how important that that monetary exchange is, even if it's just uh, kind of honorary or symbolic, um, that it does create a different energy, right? Where somebody's paying you for your skills and your services and what you're, what you're, what you're giving back to them. And that there's kind of an even flow. And then yeah. hopefully over time, it becomes more and more even. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, just it, it sort of forces you out of your comfort zone and into doing something where you, you've got to 
perform, but it also means that there's it's sort of like a two way street, so that it's being your your knowledge is being valued in some way, and there's something important about that on, on some level. Yeah, and when you're being paid for it for the first time, you're really stepping into the energy in a different way. You're showing up in a different way. And that sure. comes across to the person you're sitting with. Sure. So um, seeing clients, it seems like even nowadays for 90, I want to say like some high percentage, like 90, 95% of astrologers is probably going to be your primary source of income or a good chunk of your primary source of income, I think for most astrologers, right? Uh, you're saying that cons- consults are kind of like the, the bulk of the income. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Would you say that that's, I think that's true for most astrologers. I realize that's changing somewhat nowadays, and that's something that we'll, we'll go into a little bit later. But for most astrologers, reading charts for clients becomes the bulk of your income? I think that that's true for, I don't think it's true across the board for sure. And I think that there are a lot of astrologers working who don't make consults the main part of their business. And that's something I'm hoping to share with people in case you haven't realized that there are other ways to make a living doing astrology and you don't have to just do consults. I do think that um, at least understanding how to do consults is important because that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of crucial. If you're teaching other people to do astrology, for instance, then um, hopefully you know how to read charts yourself, right? That's kind of a no-brainer. But, um, but I do know plenty of astrologers who uh, make a great living and they're just teachers or they're just bloggers. They're just writers. Um, they're just um, working online, for instance. I mean, there are a lot of ways of working online and having a blog and monetizing a blog that don't have anything to do with with seeing clients. So um, thinking of a person I know who, if I said the person's name, everybody would recognize, and this person doesn't actually do a lot of consults. Um, and you might be surprised by that. Uh, and uh, But in terms of like how many people like that there are, I think that you're right in that there are probably far more um, kind of unknown, amazing, mostly women in any town in America who have a very full and thriving astrology consultation practice. And they're just seeing five clients a day or three clients a day and uh, five days a week, maybe. Um, and they, that's, that's their whole business is just doing consults and it's all built through word of mouth. And, you know, I know women like this who don't even have a website. So um, I think there are probably far more of them than there are of the, the, uh, the rare, celebrity type of astrologer who's able to make a very great living just writing blog posts, for instance. Sure. Yeah. I think um, that is definitely the more common older model. And there's a lot of those astrologers that you'll meet like locally in, in different cities who are just people where doing consultations is almost entirely their their income. And they've largely just been doing it through word of mouth and they haven't even necessarily published a book or anything else. They're not known in the community or known most of the time even outside of their own city. They they are just a local, you know, in-person astrologer. But it seems like at this stage in like one of the things that's changed is that astrologers are diversifying a lot. Astrologers are going online. That when you um, offer your services through the internet or when you have a website, which most newer astrologers do at this point, that suddenly you're not just limited to seeing people who live in your city, but instead you could have a consultation. Somebody could come, you know, have a consultation with you from anywhere around the world. And so suddenly that opens you up to a much bigger market. 
And then part of the trick at that point becomes the astrologer figuring out how to get their name out there or how to market themselves so that more people do know that they offer consultations or classes or other things like that. Yes. And that was actually a really big deal and a real sea change for uh, professional astrologers at the time when that shift started to happen, when some of those technologies started to become available, when it did become uh, an option to do a reading for somebody in Paris while you're sitting in Oklahoma, you know, that that was a game changer for certain people. Um, one thing, I think it's okay to say this out loud on a podcast, but uh, I did I did work with some people in the 2000s who were were, were at a, at a um, low point with their consultation practice, and and that that very thing was what uh, caused caused a shift is that they were able to reach more people. Um, uh, online and the people I'm thinking about who fall into that category are people who had published books and they had sort of a name they had spoken at some astrology conferences so they were known in kind of the niche of the professional astrology niche but because they had people who knew them in different parts of the world um, and then they suddenly had access to give those people readings in a way that was just easier to do for both parties it it took them out of the slump again but um obviously had to use a lot of technology to connect with those people. So making improvements on the website and then employing those, those technologies to connect with people. Sure. And, and I guess that's the difference because for you know, decades now, people could you know, have a consultation over the telephone. So maybe that's been there for a while. But the difference now is that with those astrologers, in order to know about you know, somebody, an astrologer that you would want to have a consultation with like that over the phone, you would probably need to have read a book of theirs or attended a lecture that they gave at a conference or something like that. So it would have been restricted a little bit more to just like leading astrologers that have published a book or something like that that are well known. Whereas now with the rise of the internet and websites and everything else, things have been, I don't know if, if democratized is the better word, but um, decentralized a little bit so that now anybody can come in and if they demonstrate or if they build a profile for themselves um, as a astrologer somehow, then they will sort of have a market for their skills and other people may or may not want to either take classes with them or, or get a consultation with them or something like that. Yeah. And again, technology is, is, uh, is an important contributor there because, you know, even though, um, some of the folks that I've I've worked with could have could and did do readings uh, over the phone with people overseas. You'd be surprised how much of a difference um, it makes just mentally thinking. I don't have to pay for this call. I can call you with Skype. It just it it it, it removes a, a no. It removes a barrier to getting the reading. So it creates a, a yes. Um, that just for some reason it facilitates more people saying yes, even though you know actually paying the however whatever the price a minute. Uh, would be for a long distance call back then, which actually wasn't cheap. <laughs> now that yeah, I remember it, um, yeah, it was like there's the cost of the reading, and then there's also the cost of the hour and a half or two hour long distance call, and and so um, you know that could create a no in somebody where you know knowing that you could do it for free on Skype would create a yes. But then also just websites um, being able to create uh, a landing page for somebody that kind of describes you and your practice, that tells people what they can expect. Um, that just makes you look more professional, a lot different than your friend saying, Hey, you should see Chris Brennan for a reading. He's a really great guy. 
and the person just totally has to go on your word without knowing a thing about you these days, they can say, oh, Chris Brennan, let me just write down, does he have a website? You know, they'll say, that, oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, visit him here. And then they'll go to your website and then they, they see a picture of you. They can read about, they can read your bio. And if your website does a good job of communicating with them as a kind of a new, new client, um, they can, they can either know instantly whether they resonate or not, but also see that you, you, you're, you look professional, at least that you look professional because with websites, we can also make ourselves look professional and then not really be professional. So for a business to work, you have to do both. You have to really show up in both ways, but, but you can uh, show them, yeah, Hey, I'm a serious astrologer. And when they land on your website, that that's really obvious. Right. And it seems like, so it really like the name of the game at a certain stage becomes, it's like you make the transition into into doing astrology professionally and seeing clients. And that's half of the half of the sort of battle. The other half though, then becomes content creation and getting your name out there and drawing in or building an audience somehow. And it seems like that started at first about a, a little over a decade ago. It seemed like blogging was really the very first way that that started happening. I mean, maybe a little bit before that would have been just like writing articles on web pages, but I really noticed in like the mid 2000s that blogging became a big deal in the astrological community. And there was a lot of astrologers that were getting into that as a way of generating content and like drawing in traffic. Because every time you would write an article about something, people would do a search on Google. And if you wrote an article that dealt with that topic or had those keywords in it, then they would be drawn to your website and then they might end up getting a consultation with you or something like that. And that was like the first sort of stage or like era in that new form of like astrologers building a profile for themselves just through their writings online. Yeah. Again, technology providing people access to reach, reach people through their writing. Whereas before, you know, in the eighties, astrological public publishing kind of had a heyday and uh, we sold a lot of, I think, I think uh, this is true that we sold exponentially higher numbers of astrology books then, although we're actually in a uh, uh, kind of heading towards a peak right now. Uh, we're, we're in an increase right now, again, with book sales and, and uh, especially over the next year, you'll see a lot of major publishers publishing astrology books. Whereas for a while there, they weren't because the sales just weren't there. Whereas the sales in the eighties were great. And, but to get a book published, you had to go through all the traditional routes, right? You had to, you know, submit a man manuscript. You had to have an agent. You had to have some reason uh, to, to be published um, in a lot of cases um, or have written a really killer book and have a great um, agent and have all of that working at once. But you could also have a really great book and not know the right people, not get the right agent for whatever reason, not get your book published. And then boom, you were just totally denied access. Whereas the internet websites, blogging basically opened up access to, to people who um, couldn't go through those traditional routes to get published. And now you could, you can create a blog yourself and then, of course, in the late 2000s, as uh, print-on-demand publishing became more accessible to people, now you can self-publish, and self-publishing doesn't have the stigma that it had in the 80s. Um, lots of lots of vehicles open there for people to be able to work as astrological writers, which um, there there are people who uh, you, you can make a living. Like if that's your thing, like you love astrology and you love writing and maybe you're just not as comfortable doing readings with people or you don't want to, um, but you you can 
read the astrology of the moment. You can read the the transits that are happening and analyze politics, for instance, or you can read the transits that are happening and analyze films. Um, I love looking at films and astrology and what's in the films and even in the actors' charts. And um, that just fascinates me. And I love writing about it. You can actually make a living doing that. Um, so I, I, you know, I like telling people that because you may not realize that you can and you, and you totally can, and you have access to do that now. Now, I also know people who, if you're blogging, for instance, you need to also uh, get some skills about how to monetize your blog because just writing the blog and getting a big fan base, that's not going to make you money because as you already know, you're writing the blog for free and the fans are reading it for free. So you have to have some way to create a financial exchange there. So you'd, you'd right. have some to, people mistakenly yeah. think that like AdSense or running ads that they're going to make a bunch of money doing that, but that's actually not realistic because you have to have like just tons and tons of like millions of hits in order yeah. to really make much through ads. Yeah. And again, in the two thousands, when it was new, um, you could, I mean, the reason why that myth is out there is because there was a time when you could, but like you said, it's, it's a different landscape now and you can make some money. But I think one of the things you said at the beginning of, of our, of our talk is that you need a diversified approach. So even with a blog, um, you can use AdSense or you can have different uh, ways of, of monetizing ads, but you need some other approaches to uh, building income as well. Sure. And, and so the primary thing is, is you have your writings that draws in traffic and then you will offer like your consultations as your primary thing, but also perhaps offer classes, online classes or recordings. I know recordings and selling, you know, different types of recordings of lectures and other classes has become a big thing. And that's something that you really encourage, I think, all of the astrologers that you work with to, to do pretty regularly, right? Yeah, the intention there was just a little bit different in that I'm I'm working with a lot of astrologers that whose work that I love. And in some cases, um, I'm just really interested in having them um share their teaching in a way that's being recorded to 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 um for posterity to to kind of maintain um to to have a record of their teaching in the world that we can all benefit from and access because there have been astrologers there's astrologers that I know for instance Charles Jane uh I I love studying declination and he um in the last you know I don't know how many years 50 years he knew more about declination and work, worked with declination more than any other astrologer I know and I would love to be able to hear him teach a class about declination. He wrote a few books. They're just famously difficult to read <laughs> and um, and to interpret. And they're the kind of books that, you know, I read it and I have a million questions that I want to ask him because I didn't quite get something or I want to know how that can be applied because some of the books are really technical. And so if somebody like me had been around to record him teaching back then, uh, I would be really eternally grateful. So I'm trying to record some of these great astrologers that are living now um, so that we have a record of their teaching uh, in the future to refer to. And sure. so, but also if you're a, if you're a new astrologer and you're building a business, or if you want, if you know that you want to teach, some people just have a natural affinity for teaching and you know that that's kind of what you want to set your sights on to become a really great teacher with something really profound to offer. Ideally you want to have some years and some wisdom um, underneath you, but you can actually teach uh people how to read charts. And there, there are a lot of kind of fundamental astrology techniques that you can teach without having, you know, without being 70 years old and having looked back on a whole life teaching astrology. I mean, that astrologer is going to have a different kind of wisdom to give you. But in terms of like understanding 
that there are aspects and what an aspect is and what you're looking at when you look at a natal wheel. All of those things are um, things that could be taught by a younger astrologer. So there are definitely ways, uh, there's definitely room for even younger astrologers to um, make a business teaching other people what they know. Right. And that becomes crucial in terms of like diversifying your astrological practice and developing sources of both active and passive income. There's like active income where you're doing something like doing a consultation or you're teaching a class, but then there's passive income where you have something that you put energy into creating, but once it's done, it's sort of out there and you can sell it and you don't have to do anything else, but people just buy it. And that becomes a, a sort of income stream in your overall practice. Yeah. Like, like, like a book. Um, you can also do subscription services that are kind of built on, they're built on a model of, of constantly creating new content. But once the content's created, um, it starts to snowball over time so that there's a massive content created so that a, a new person sees that with the subscription, they're getting this new content, but they're also getting access to archives of three years of content. And then, uh, that's a big selling point as well. Right. I know Kelly, you and Kelly have been experimenting with that a little bit with her monthly forecast series, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's basically a series where Kelly's giving insights about the astrology unfolding in the month ahead. So it's a very like uh, in the moment, in, important and helpful in the moment kind of content. And, and that's something that people are really interested in hearing what Kelly has to say about that. There are a lot of astrologers creating that kind of content. It's definitely one of the ways that you can make a living doing astrology is to create an app or a subscription service where you're kind of telling people what the transits are that month. Not unlike what you're doing in the podcast each month with Kelly and Austin, where you're, you're looking at the month ahead and you're kind of all talking about it. Um, where you, you guys are all kind of talking about the energies together and it's a conversation if you were creating a product for yourself as an astrologer, you'd basically kind of imagine that you're speaking to a client and what would you be saying to that client about the upcoming Venus retrograde? What are the tips you might give them to navigate it? What are the ways you might have of recognizing that transit and recognizing that energy in their life? And then of course, um, coming from whatever astrological approach you have and whatever philosophies you have, you would build all that into what you're, what you're sharing with folks, but you'd be addressing it to everyone in general versus, uh, what you would be doing in a reading where you're looking at someone's specific chart. Um, but there are definitely, uh, these transits are happening. If you're just looking at transits, for instance, like where the planets are in the sky today, um, they're unfolding anew every day. You can track the moon. A lot of people track the moon and that's their gateway drug to astrology. And it's also their gateway uh, product to create with astrology is to talk about the moon. Um, the moon, when we talk about the moon, it's just not as, um, far off to understand as if we use the word Uranus, for instance, um, where we just have an emotional connection to the moon. It just seems simpler and easy to get. And when you talk about the moon cycles, like the uh, phases of the moon, the full moon, the new moon, a lot of people will talk about new moon and full moon phases. And that's something that the general public can easily understand a little bit easier to understand than saying, as soon as you say Uranus is square Saturn, you've lost a ton of people. But if you say the full moon, people are like, oh yeah, I know what the full moon is. Uh, they get that. And then you can you can uh, start talking about astrology from there. Yeah, it's interesting astrologers choosing what their market is and what their sort of target market is based on 
partially based on what level that they're going to talk about their astrology at. And there's like the most general level that has like the largest audience. And then it sort of goes upwards in terms of the more and more advanced you go in terms of how you're going to talk about astrology, the smaller and smaller your audience becomes within the astrological community or relative to the astrological community versus the general public. But there are, I do see different astrologers that target different audiences really based on, I don't know what their own interests are or just, I don't know, I guess partially it's conscious. Like people do make a very conscious decision about what audience they want to target with their teachings or with their content creation. Yeah, definitely. That takes us into a big subject I'd love to flesh out a little bit, which is about finding your voice in as a professional astrologer. Um, because there, there's not just one right way to do it. And one mistake people make in general, not just in astrology, but in a lot of kind of people focused careers or personality based careers is they think, okay, I want to have the most clients I can have, or I want to reach the biggest audience I can reach. So I'm going to adjust what I'm saying to reach the widest audience. That's a big mistake that people make. It's a rookie mistake that a lot of people make, even as a blogger, as a blogger, if you're starting out as a, with a blog and you're like, okay, um, normally I would say it like this, but you're, you find yourself self-editing because you're like, I don't want to say this because it might not reach this particular type of person or it wouldn't speak to everyone. Don't do that. The, the, the biggest way to your best audience is to totally sh- be yourself. So fully step into your energy, speak in your voice, um, use the words that you would use and don't self-edit. I mean, of course, correct mistakes, <laughs> correct your typos. I'm not saying don't correct your typos, but, right. but definitely um, work at finding your voice. I mean, and you're not necessarily going to fully be in your voice. Like if you start writing a blog tomorrow and you haven't written one before, um, again, in a couple of years, if I talk to you, you might, you might have a moment where you could look back and say, that's when I really found my voice in my blog, right? You can really see a shift in my blog entries where I stepped into some, I stepped into something. And that just comes through having done it uh, several times, having done it repetitively over time. Um, whenever we do something again and again, and again, and again, over time, we, we can reach a level of mastery. That's one of the promises of Saturn. Um, but, uh, but it's important to have that, be the, the goal is, is to be stepping fully into your own authority and your own voice versus just trying to reach everyone. So don't make reaching everyone a goal. Cause what happens when you're yourself is people show up and they're like, Oh, I really, I really like this Chris Brennan guy. I really resonate with just how I, I like the tone of his voice. I like how he talks. I like what he's saying. Um, versus some other people who are like, eh. I don't know. I, I found them kind of boring or, or even people who are averse to them, to, to you. You don't want those people in your audience, right? <laughs> if they don't like sure. you, you don't want them, right? You don't want to be half of you because if you're only half of you, your audience is only going to half like you, right? So you want people to be all in because those people are going to be your biggest fans and you want your audience to be made up of your biggest fans. And, um, and then it's a, then it's then you create a mutually uh, beneficial kind of um, energetic where they're dying to hear what you have to say and you're dying to tell them. Yeah, one of the advantages I've found to being genuine and adopting your genuine voice is not burning out and being able to stick with it in the long term. Whereas if you're doing something that's not genuine to your own voice or your own approach. It's going to be harder to stick with that consistently over the long term because you're going to end up hating that you're constantly not able to 
you know, present yourself as you really are in some way. Such an important point because, um, I, I think that to me, the, the remedy for that is keeping, um, open to being open to change and being open to growth in yourself and allowing yourself to shift. And you may find out that you sort of start writing, um, moon phase articles and that you kind of develop an audience for that. And at some point you discover some technique or some new insight, or you're working with it in a totally different way, allow yourself to grow and shift into that new thing and, and just be really transparent with your audience in that, in those moments. Um, just say, Hey, you know, I have loved talking about moon phases with you guys. And I know you're really into it, but I'm really into, um, this, this other technique or this other thing now. And I'm really excited to share that with you and then take them on that ride. I've seen astrologers who have really, uh, public online personas who go through this and it's always a, a risky transition, especially if the thing that you're switching to is really dramatic, dramatically different. Like for instance, I used to be a, a free will based astrologer. Now I'm a ter- deterministic astrologer. You know, um, that's a whole conversation. I know if you don't understand what that means when I just said that, but basically like, I think that you're totally in control of everything versus you're not in control of anything. <laughs> um, if right. you make that shift with your audience, you're going to lose some folks. But if that's who you authentically are now, just tell people what's up and, 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 and then put your eggs all in that basket and those people will show up for you too. So the beauty about the internet and, um, that again, the access to technology that we have is it's not like, uh, the old days of traditional where all we had was traditional book publishing. So that if you, if you made that kind of change, you didn't even have a kind of real time way of communicating those things with your audience. And now you do, now you can just, you could change in a week. You can send out an email and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing now. Do you like this? You know, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for consistency in terms of building an audience. Um, let, let's back up though, because that's actually sure. a really interesting point that you specialize in on some level at this point, which is um, the shift towards self-publishing and how so many astrologers now are moving towards self-publishing, and there has been this downturn in the, the astrological publishing amongst major publishers for the past decade probably partially just because there's a downturn in, in book publishing in general. Um, but astrology especially, I've, I've really noticed the bookshelves, the astrology shelves like shrink dramatically at, at most bookstores over the past decade or two. And, and part of that's because people are moving to self-publishing. That now has lost a lot of its stigma and you can actually viably self-publish a, a book and do relatively well with it or, or promote it relatively well, right? Definitely. And I, I do think that we're going to see a shift right now only because, I mean, it remains to be seen, but I do know several people who have contracts right now with major publishers. And that's a new thing that hasn't happened for quite a while. And there, I know several people in this boat. So they're definitely the major publishers are interested in astrology right now and they're seeking titles. So if you've got something to submit and you want to go that route, this might be a good time to try to jump in. And so I think we might start seeing more titles on the bookshelves again. But that said, yeah, I mean, and I've seen that as well. But there's there's no way it's going to be a return to like the heyday of <laughs> like like Linda Goodman in like the late 1960s selling millions of copies of yeah. love signs or something like that. Yeah, those days are gone because people have a lot more choices with uh, access accessibility to information and, and entertainment and um, yeah, so it's great that the stigma for self-publishing is gone because you can have 
Even though major publishers are starting to publish some books, they're really interested in books that are going to sell to the masses. So they're not, they would right. not touch my uh, out of bounds planets book with, <laughs> with the 10 foot pole. They'd be like, what is that? And I have no, I know I'm never going to publish that book because it's, it's a, it's a niche uh, topic, a niche technique in the field. And um, so if I want that book published, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to self publish or publish with a, a small, um, a publisher who specializes in astrological titles and that doesn't, isn't looking for a mass audience because that book is never going to, a book about really any really technical book about astrology that's really geared towards professional astrologers is going to have a much smaller audience. That might be your passion to write that book and you can totally, you know, make a living making that your niche, but it's just, it's just a smaller, much smaller piece of the pie and the major publishers are just not interested. So it's amazing that we have, uh, print on demand, so accessible. And basically for the cost it takes to hire a designer to do the cover, of course, if you're a designer yourself, you can do that. The cost it takes to get the book laid out. Um, so having a layout, hiring a layout person um, and the cost it takes to edit the book. Aside from that, um, the actual cost to kind of set up with uh, a company like CreateSpace or Lightning Source to print your book on demand, which just means that I order a book today they print it tomorrow and they send it wherever I tell them. That's what print on demand means um, versus I order 2000 copies of a book and I sure hope to God I can sell 2000 books, um, right. which is the so old, that's really, old That's way. really important. So that's that used to be the barrier to even self-publishing is yeah. you needed to do like a large print run. So you needed to print up 10,000 copies or something like that in order to make it financially viable. Whereas nowadays with print on demand, the two main companies you just mentioned are Ingram Spark, I guess, is actually what it's called, slash lightning source. And the other one is Amazon CreateSpace. And with those, they literally just print. You can either order 10 copies or 100 copies for yourself and then sell them, or you can order individual copies and, and send them to the people directly from the printer. Exactly. Yeah. And so before where you would have to have like, a, you know, maybe a $5,000 investment and and hope that you would get your money back over time. Now you can make, you know, those labor investments that you you could get all that done for $500, not necessarily at the highest quality that you could get, but you can get it done for $500. And then, you know, with uh, Lightning Source, which has changed their name to Ingram Spark for that part of the, of the, of the print on demand. And then Amazon, I think is also changing to just uh, KDP or uh, Kindle Direct Publishing because they're, they've, they've incorporated CreateSpace into Kindle Direct Publishing now. They've been making mm -hmm. that change this year. So. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know if they're going to ditch the create space name at some point, but anyway, with create space, there's no, there's not even a fee to upload a title there. It's just free to upload your title. If you want to do a proof copy, you have to pay, you know, whatever, 12 bucks to get a proof copy. But with lightning source, there's a $75 fee, which again is like nothing compared to what it used to be. And then there's one more fee that you keep in mind, which is the fee to purchase an ISBN. So it's that long number that you see attached to like an Amazon book. Right. You can, you can have Amazon generate one of those numbers for you if you only participate in their system. But if you really want your book to potentially be able to be purchased by your local independent bookstore, then you need to get an ISBN. And there's a fee for that as well. Um, it's in, it's in the realm of, uh, I think you can get a block of five for $200 or something like that or a hundred dollars. I don't remember, but it's not, it's not, you don't have to spend $5,000 to publish your book anymore. You can spend maybe $750 and, and uh, have it ready to go. Yeah, and that's a huge deal because I remember the tail end of that about a decade ago, where Ben Dykes, 
his first book, his translation of Guido Bonatti, he had to spend like a ton of, I think he had to take out a loan or something like that in order to print up, you know, a, a bunch of X amount of like a thousand copies or something of this big, thick, hardbound book. And then eventually had to make that back um, through sales of the book. And then eventually, once he ran out of copies, like that was it for that print run, unless he did another print run. But then eventually, over the past decade, he switched to these print on demand companies where he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And that's become a decent part of his income is publishing those different translations of ancient astrological works where he, he publishes a new one every few months, it seems like. Yeah. And it also kind of frees up your creativity too, because in the past where Ben would have had to basically become a, a, a Bonatti salesman for the, for the next few years to try to sell that book. Instead, right. he can just put the book out there and then keep focusing on wherever the creativity lies for him in the moment. Um, and of course, he'll continue to sell the Bonatti book, but he won't feel the pressure. Like I've got 2000 books sitting in a warehouse, I have to sell them and I have to get my money back. That creates a kind of pressure where it has an impact on your work. And so um, uh, the POD system creates a kind of creative freedom too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, the downside of course is there's probably some lower quality, a lot more lower quality books on the market than there used to be which is obviously one of the issues also with blogging is now even though it's it's you know lowered the bar to entry for for a lot of people and everybody regardless of what their background or like financial situation is can now you know teach astrology or talk about astrology um you know the quality is still not quite as good as having some of those barriers to entry even with simple things like you know publishers hiring an editor that really makes a difference. And sometimes newer astrologers or astrologers that are just getting into self-publishing don't realize the advantage of some of those professional services like hiring a professional editor or a professional layout person or somebody to make diagrams for you or what have you. Yeah. And I do want to say that even though I said that you could get in like on the cheap, so to speak, and have your book published, if that's right. all you can do and that's the only way you can do it, then um, then then do that um, if that's what you're called to do. But ideally, you it is totally worth paying for a good editor. It's totally worth paying somebody who went to school and to study graphic design, and not just your cousin who likes to play around with Photoshop to do your book cover. Right? It's it's better to pay a professional. And I mean, it's better in any field, right? It's better to pay a professional astrologer um, to get a reading than it is to read your horoscope in a magazine. It's just better, right? So um, yeah. It's I mean, that same. seems like one of the big secrets of being a self-employed astrologer is eventually starting to realize that you need to delegate responsibility to other people, but also sometimes you need to find specialists who specialize in different areas in order to make sure that the quality of what you're putting out is the best that it can be. And sometimes just putting out like a quality product can in and of itself like set you apart from from what other people are doing. Yeah, definitely. I think you and I have had that conversation before about when I started doing websites for people in the 2000s, there was a little bit of a quality issue, so to speak, right. with astrologers' websites. And I was trying to elevate the uh, the image of astrologers, especially some of the astrologers I worked with, the image on their website did not match the quality of their work at all. It just was a total disconnect, right? So it's like, there's this really deep, profound psychological work coming out of this person and their website's like purple and has like stars swirling around on it. It's like- <laughs> Right. Well, well and that's, that's the role that you're playing for a lot of, especially some of the older astrologers where 
you know, they didn't grow up like coding MySpace pages, so they don't know HTML or something like that. They don't know how to do a website. They're really good at astrology, but they need some help or they need some sort of support doing some of these other technological things that either they don't know how to do or would just take too much time and would be too much of a distraction from the more important work that they could be doing to like stop everything and like take a, you know, four month course on like web design or something like that. Um, and, and that's the stage where people do hire out or get help or something like that. Yeah. And I always recommend that because early in the game, if you're, um, if you're low on funds and there, there are times in which you just have to do it yourself, right? Cause you just can't afford to hire X, Y, or Z person, but you sure. definitely want to keep that as a goal. You don't want to make it your goal to do everything yourself because ideally you want to be a professional astrologer. You don't want to be a professional web developer. So you don't need to learn how you don't need to learn PHP code. You know, um, if you, if you have a website that has like uh, a coding problem and you need help with that, you want to be able to just pay the coding expert to fix it for you. So that should be your goal. Although I understand that at the beginning, um, it's not possible for a lot of people. And the good news is that now more than ever, you can set up a, a, a website with something like Squarespace, which has a set of templates that are, um, that all of the templates, any of the templates would be fine to start out with. They're, they're clean. They're easy to, easy to uh, read. The uh, information is naturally organized in a way that works for the average um, internet user. And they make it easy for you to drop in your own content. So you choose the template. They even make it easy for you to make a makeshift logo. And then you drop in your, your uh, content and you're ready to go. You hang out your business shingle. So, um, so the barrier to entry is is uh, much, much cheaper and easier than it used to be. Um, but ideally, over time, you want to kind of graduate into hiring the professionals to kind of amp up your game. Sure. I mean, there is probably something to be said for self-sufficiency as a, a self-employed person, and especially if you have the time to learn things to familiarize yourself, at least with the basics, so that you're not always dependent on other people. I mean, ideally... There's some there's some sort of give and take there that's hard to establish, but that all it seems like all self-employed people end up having to find some sort of balance in. Yeah, and I think that I think that you and I are those kind of people where we'll you know we'll just kind of we're not scared of instruction manuals. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, if if we need something and it's broken the moment, we'll try to fix it and figure it out um, and and do it ourselves. I guess, like you said, more DIY type of people, but at some point. It's, it's uh, like for me personally, it's not a good use of my time to do a lot of those things. It's a better use of my time to be developing content for the school or to be, um, uh, uh, fine tuning the message on the next summit or, you know, something like that versus fixing something that's broken on the website, which I can do, but it's just a poor use of my time because I have uh, a lot of things calling out, um, for me. And it's, it's better for me to do. I think this, they say, uh, I've talked to the, um, someone earlier this year who said it's, it's, if, if it's something that anyone can do, those are the things that you want to farm out in your business. And if it's something that you want to try to focus on the things that only you can do or that mm -hmm. only you want to do, like focus on the things that you're of course, passionate about and drawn to, but also there are things in your, in your business and in your astrology practice as you grow that, um, that really only you can do. You really want to be the person writing the blogs. You want to start farming out your blog post to someone else, right? Um, but you don't have to be the person who fixes your website. 
you don't have to be the person who designs your book cover. Um, if you're the rare person who is an artist and uh, an astrologer and also a web coder, I mean, there are people like that out there. Um, well, then it's maybe a different conversation. And uh, But I don't think it's everybody, Chris, who can do all of the things or can just learn um, how to build their website by cracking a couple of manuals open. Um, I think there, you know, I come across a ton of people who just, you know, have, don't even have the first desire to do that. So they'll kind of stop there. They'll get stuck there. And I guess Mm -hmm. one of the things I'm saying too, is to, um, to ask for help from, from, from the professionals. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and let's see what other topics I meant to touch on. Uh, in terms of content creation, it's grown so much. It's not just blogs or writing books, but people are also doing YouTube channels. Like YouTube's taken off in the past few years, really wildly, seeing that explode after the you know for the first like decade or something of YouTube, not a lot was going on there in terms of the astrology. And it seems like I don't know, it was about five years ago or some somewhere towards the earlier part of this decade that suddenly people figured out how to do that properly and, and started doing a really good job of developing an audience there. Um, but YouTube, but also um, social networking sites like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, there's some astrologers that are doing a really good job of actually building an audience there through those platforms. And instead of just like using them to share their stuff, they're actually using them to generate content by writing unique posts and sharing unique content on those platforms, which then helps them to develop an audience. Are there any other things like that that I'm not thinking of that are like areas where astrologers are, are using to, to build an audience at this point? Well, all of, all of the social media platforms are, have their, have, uh, can, can help you do that. And again, you have, just like with blogging, you have to keep in mind, um, once you build the audience, how are you going to monetize the audience? So maybe, maybe you're doing that because you're building your audience and you're really kind of giving people, um, an introduction to what you would do in a reading, and then you're trying to get them to do a reading with you. That that might be one way. Um, you might be trying to sell an ebook, uh, or or um, um, or connect them with some some teaching or some course that you have um, through building the audience. But with each, there there are just there are so many platforms at this point. So there's there's blogging, um, but there's also there's like you said YouTube. Um, you can build a following on Instagram. You can build a following on Twitter. You can build a following oh, yeah. on Facebook. Podcast, podcasting. I just forgot like the very thing that I'm doing. <laughs> that like, the thing is... that's right in front of you. Right. Yeah, podcasting. And then of course, um, uh, when we talk about monetizing things, we, we can't not talk about um, Patreon and crowdfunding at this point, which are also, Again, something that technology brought us in recent years that have made made it more possible to connect with um, those fans that I was describing, who are like your your rabid fans, the people that you're really connecting with, that really love your work and want to support your work, and uh, and now we have a way to to help them do that. Um, there are some people. I, I I think that I'm right with this that this model got started in the music industry. Um, I know one person in particular who made this model work where. Um, even before the website Patreon existed or GoFundMe or um, I don't know all of the names of the crowdfunding websites, but before there were any crowdfunding websites, this person set up a subscription model where she was, uh, she was happy. So I'll just give you a little tiny bit of backstory, which was she was having trouble getting her records produced by um, 
any of the big labels anymore. So she had been sort of popular at one point and then her popularity waned a bit. And then she was kind of not, they were like, yeah, we don't want to put another record out. So she, but she was still producing music and she still had an active fan base. And so she created a subscription product for them where over email and she just used PayPal, you could PayPal her $30 a month. And what you would get in return is every month she would record something in the, in the studio and you'd get a window onto that. It's not unlike what we're doing now with Patreon or with podcasting, except it's just at a, um, a more polished level. And we're giving people a really easy way to do it. Like you, you know, with Patreon, it's super easy to contribute to someone's work that you love. And then we're also just setting up this great model where people can, um, can support the things we love, um, in a really direct way. And what people are like you are doing with the content, which is so wonderful is because you're getting that positive feedback. You're also able to create content that really serves them. You're able to say, Hey, what do you guys want next, next month? What this woman did with her music business was she would give them a piece of work in progress. And she would say, Hey, what did you like or not like about this song? I'm still working on it. Let's work it out together. I, I had this idea to put this in the chorus or this, which do you like better? And then it was this interactive creative process where they created. And then, and then by the time she got to the last iteration of the album, it was like an album that the fans just like not only love, but they had helped make. So um, that's all possible through, um, through crowdfunding. And so it's a, uh, I think I might've got off topic from the original question, but I think it's a, it's just a really great, uh, it's another great source of income that I think is both it's positive in the sense that it makes it possible for people to do work, but it also makes it possible for the fans of the work to, to connect and participate in a new way that they couldn't before, you know, back in the day, it was like, go to the record store, buy the record, listen to the record, go to the show, possibly absolutely no interaction with the artist or the process or any of it. So even having a window onto the process, but then getting able to participate, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's made a huge difference for me. I mean, just in terms of improving the quality and the consistency of being able to do this as much as I do would not be possible at all. And if you look at the first like few years of me doing the podcast, it was very sporadic and I would do an episode like every few months. And it was only once I started having that support from the patrons that I was able to do this consistently four episodes a month, plus the bonus episodes and everything else for just for patrons. So yeah, that's huge. And that's a completely new thing that's just really come out, emerged in the past few years. There's probably other like emerging technologies and markets like live streaming that I think people haven't really been fully tapped into yet in the astrological community that I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that and, and who will figure yeah. out a new way to, to use it. Yeah. And video is huge right now. And video is really important to kind of wrap your mind around if you want to be the kind of astrologer who has a personality-based business. Again, if you're like working on your consult business and you just want to do consults and you don't want to have a blog and you don't want to be on the internet, you don't have to be to make a living as an astrologer to have a, a thriving consult practice. I know a woman here who in Portland who sees five clients a day, five days a week, and she's never had any of those things. And she's, you know, obviously totally successful if she's booking that many readings and she's been doing it for years and positive feedback loop there. It's just that these technologies have enabled us to create other positive feedback loops with our our clients and our fans, and um, and it's just just way more way more accessible. And I would also say just to somebody for or to people for encouragement, whether you're interested in making a blog or a podcast, 
um, that don't get discouraged by the fact that there are already so many out there. If like you're really called to do it and you're passionate about it, do it because to my earlier point, you're going to do it in a way that's different from me. That's different from Chris. That's different from, you know, anybody else who has a podcast or a blog or a website um, or a YouTube channel. You're going to, you're going to put everything through your filter and you're going to speak in your voice. Um, recently did a, a summit, a side project summit called Fresh Voices in Astrology. And I, I had an uh, intention there of bringing in um, people um, to honoring and celebrating diversity. And one of the things that happens when you give yourself agency to speak in your own voice and you find your own voice and you speak to your fans, you're going to be able to connect with audiences that um, we didn't connect with in the eighties because some publisher was deciding who got to be at the top. It was just like that in the music industry, right? So back then some music agency executive could say, Oh, you know, your hair's not blonde enough. We need somebody with really blonde hair. I mean, it could be that ridiculous, right? It's like, mm-hmm. um, and they get to decide who makes it to the top or even who even just gets access to make it to the top. And now, um, and even then there were, there were people that didn't, there were people in the audience that were being sort of disrespected by that viewpoint. And there were people that in the audience that were being ignored. Um, and, and now, we can, we can find our audience and we can, can connect with them. So if you're inspired to do this, go out there and, uh, and find your audience. You, you, you totally can. And the technology is available. So definitely like seize the day <laughs> and, and go for it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's still a lot of room for, for growth and for people. And I'm excited at how many people are getting into YouTube and podcasting and everything else. And there's still a lot of opportunities there for people to, to get into it and also to build, to speak to, unique audiences that you know they themselves are coming from um you know one of the most f- really notable examples over the past few years has just been uh Chani Nicholas and her work and just how amazing of a job she's done in cultivating an audience within like a specific community and speaking in a way that's very genuine to, to who she is and what her interests are and what her her beliefs are and everything else and not not holding back and not like watering it down or editing or something like that and being successful doing that and and yeah that's been really impressive and i think is a good sort of inspiration for other astrologers and what's possible at this point in time yeah she's a perfect example chris of of somebody who is just speaking in her own voice unashamedly saying like what is and if she had presented a, a a book idea back in the eighties to somebody. And um, I mean, she may, she might've been rejected, right? She might not have gotten a platform to speak in right. her voice. So, um, but yeah, she's a great example of like what to model in terms of not like, don't, you know, try to say what she's saying, but in terms of like, right. she's just being wholly herself. She's right. like, this is myself and I'm talking about astrology and the techniques of astrology. Anyone can learn. We all have access to the, to the books, the same books and the same, um, teachers. Well, uh, <laughs> most of us do, I guess. Um, many of us do. I'm sure there are people who don't have access that are going to be listening to this podcast, but, um, hopefully there are ways to, to get these teachings. Um, and, and then you channel them all through, you put them all through your, your filter and you project them all through your particular voice and experience. And you're going to have something unique to say and unique to contribute and we'll all benefit from it. Definitely. And yeah, I love that. Uh, so I, I mean, my note, I, I always leave, try to leave this to me on a point of optimism because I do think it's more possible at this point in time to 
become a professional astrologer and to make it as an astrologer than any other time in history because of a lot of these different options that are available to us through technology and everything else. And so um, that's kind of what this is about, and that's what kind of what I'm about is trying to help other people to to do that and to make that transition and also to do it successfully. So uh, you know, I know you're somebody who who also is trying to help other people to do that through your teachings and through some of the different programs that you're creating with Astrology University and through um, some of the other webinars or summits through that. So yeah, do you have any other like final thoughts or advice? For anybody that's thinking about making that transition and, and what they can do to try to, um, I don't know, do it successfully. <laughs> that's kind well, of a big question. Yeah, Sorry yeah no, the first thing that comes to mind is I think what actually started this whole conversation with, between us privately, which is I would tell people, keep your day job for now um, right. because it's not going to happen overnight in 99.9% .9 of the cases. There are definitely a couple of cases out there that I can think of where people um, made things happen really, really quickly, but not for the reasons that Chris and I have been talking about today. Um, if you, if you really want to do this well and with a lot of heart and, uh, integrity, it takes some time. It takes some time for you to feel comfortable. It takes some time. There's a lot of information to learn. I'm sorry, but it takes more than a year to learn everything that you could know to give a decent natal reading. Um, if you just, if that's all you did for a year was just study astrology, um, you could, you could be exposed to the information, but some of the concepts are deep enough that even if you read it in a book today, you haven't really learned it, right? So like Chris and I were talking about earlier, you have to, you learn the technique, but then you start applying it to charts, to charts, charts, plural, right? You don't just apply it to one chart and then you get it. It's not like a math problem, right? Where you've just worked out the problem and now you understand how to do that kind of um, math problem. It's like, Every chart presents, uh, turns it in a different way. And you're looking at that same aspect in a different way, in a different context, because um, when you're looking at a chart, it's important to put everything in the context of the chart. And to even be able to think you have a grasp of what that context is, takes a lot of time. So you want to give yourself time to study and then give yourself time to um, practice the art and, um, and then give yourself time to build a client base. Your client base isn't going to grow overnight. Um, I have a, a, a dear friend who did astrology part-time for several years, and it took her 10 years before her um, client practice was strong enough that she was able to quit the part-time job. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take everyone 10 years. Um, I've definitely known people who uh, achieved that same goal much sooner. Um, that's just how it worked out for her. And I'm only telling you that story not to discourage you, but just to kind of keep in mind that is probably if if your if your game plan like if you have a year's worth of savings in the bank and you're going to quit your day job tomorrow because you're passionate about astrology and you're going to be coming up in a year you're you're planning to be fully up to speed seeing clients you might want to have a plan B <laughs> as well because it's probably going to take a little bit longer um, than than a year um, so definitely um, keep your day job and the reframe I like to do with that is to. Don't think of the day job as something that you're forced to do that you hate. Think of it as the thing that's giving you the money to do the thing that you love. Think of it as the thing that's supporting you in your passion. And then you'll go to work with a different, you can go wait tables and have a totally different experience of it. Yeah, definitely. Because you can, I don't know, dive in, but it's going to take a while to build. All this takes a while to build up. All of the different little income streams that you have to have as an astrologer take a while to build up. And in addition to just learning the subject in general. And 
I know when I tried to make that transition, there was definitely some lean years. There were like several very lean years of, of you know, eating spaghetti every night and, um, you know, not going out for entertainment or whatever, just working, you know, 24 seven and, and grinding really, um, before eventually like reaching a, a place that was a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more successful. But I feel like people like me and Austin and Kelly and other people are examples that it can be done and that you can have success in that field if you put in the work and the effort and have the patience to see it through in the, in the long, long term. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to get across to people. I mean, the amount of work that you put in, uh, Chris, alone, I mean, it's just, um, you have to be that passionate about, about astrology, right? Right. To, yeah. To that's a, that's a really because, good, like, first rule is, yeah. <laughs> you know, are you very, very passionate about? Because you, you need to have an overriding passion and interest in this subject in order to see yourself through the, the hard times if you want to make it as a professional. Yeah, because if you're like me, uh, to the to the outside person watching you spend twelve hours that day do whatever it was that you were doing, um, that might look like you were working too many hours to them. But to us, it's like we love the work, so it doesn't always feel like work, right? It doesn't. Right. If if you love what you do, then it, it, the hours are just like, you know, they're about getting tired and needing to go to bed. <laughs> it's like at some point you need to stop so you can go to bed, but but it doesn't feel like. Uh, 12 hours working in a factory, for instance, where you're really not connected to the, it, to the work and it's not your passion or your calling. So, um, the, the thing about putting in all these hours to learn astrology is it's fun. It's amazing. It's exciting. It's interesting. It, it provides endless avenues for creativity and exploration. Um, so I, I definitely recommend it if you're interested in, and you, you, uh, are, even if you're curious to kind of dip your toes in and check it out. Um, because it's a really wonderful and fulfilling um, career to be involved in. But it's also not something that you're going to be able to kind of do overnight. You can't go to a weekend astrology training and become a professional astrologer, even though you can find those trainings out there. But I'm just going to tell you right now, don't waste your money. Do Chris's program instead, because <laughs> you're going to get a better a better head start and a better foundation. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've seen. Or I guess some... not to sound like we're only hyping your stuff, but do do uh, you know find a reputable astrologer and do do a program with them, you know, versus like somebody who's if they if they tell you you can be a professional astrologer over after a two week course, definitely raise your eyebrows and and look for other options. Right. Yeah. And well, that's one of the things that's nice these days is that with again with the the internet and everything else that's happened is you can study more directly with some of the leading astrologers in the world than you could at any other time in history and there's something yeah. really special about that that that's unique um and that gets into a whole separate issue about like certification and like astrology organizations and stuff like that but we will save that <laughs> for another discussion okay um so uh, yeah, really quickly, let's talk a little bit as we wrap this up. This is pretty much the end of the discussion, but I did want to mention again, because I'm excited about this summit that you have coming up. So really quickly, could you just remind me what, what that's about later this month? Sure thing. So it's called uh, Astrology, Life, Purpose, and Destiny. And uh, I chose that topic because it's kind of, um, there's a little bit of a hook in it there. Uh, it's a kind of a leading topic, but we're all really, a lot of us come to astrology to kind of find some answers to those questions. Um, the truth is that 
um, it's my opinion that astrology can't just like uh, 100% give you the answer in a way that's going to just work and make everything in your life perfect. Like um, that's a dream <laughs> that a lot of us have, but it's it's really not a reality. Um, but uh, astrology can provide um, some kinds of answers to these questions, these big life questions. What's my life purpose or um, what is my destiny? Do I have a destiny? Is destiny real? Is destiny a thing? Um, these are all big, big, big questions that there's not simple answers to, but astrology can engage with them in a way that other, you, you know, other disciplines can't. And in a way that's really, again, beautiful, creative, interesting. And um, so it can lead to some beautiful, interesting, creative uh, conversations and thoughts and inspiring uh, lectures, which is what we have planned for you. I At Astrology University, I try to have a diverse group of astrologers with different viewpoints and backgrounds. So you're not just going to find, you know, a one type of astrology being practiced there. Although at the at this point, we do only have Western astrologers. We don't have any Vedic astrologers in our crew, although at some point I could totally see that um, changing. But um, just again, to be more well-rounded. Um, but what we have some people who call themselves evolutionary astrologers, psychological astrologers, traditional astrologers. So um, a lot of different viewpoints and even among them, uh, different different viewpoints to share. So they're all kind of looking at these questions from um, different angles. And um, each, each presenter is going to present for about an hour. And there's going to be uh, 14 presenters. So seven talks each day. And you can watch the summit for free for 24 hours each day. So for a total of 48 hours. So you can tune in at astrologyuniversity.com. You can find a link there on the homepage and signing up is free. If you can't attend for some reason, we give you the option to be able to purchase the recordings afterwards. Um, so don't feel like you're missing out. If like you have to be on vacation that weekend or something, definitely do your vacation <laughs> instead of the summit. <laughs> right. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, so we have uh, a lot of great, great um, seasoned astrologers um, answering, wrestling with some of these big questions. So I hope you can tune in. Yeah, you've got some uh, friends of the of the podcast, like Kelly Surtees, uh, Mark Jones is going to be giving a talk there. Lynn Bell is going to be giving a talk, and there's also a few other great, a number of other great astrologers that haven't been on the podcast before, like Stephen Forrest, uh, Darby Costello, Frank Clifford, Jason Hawley, Greg Bogart. Uh, Kira Sutherland and uh, several other people. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, and if you haven't um, if you haven't heard some of those names, definitely take the opportunity to tune in free and see if you resonate with with some of them because you may find somebody new that you resonate with. Yeah. So okay. So it's a live thing. It's October twenty seventh through the twenty eighth, and it's completely free if you attend live. And then afterwards, I'm sure for those that only listen to this like next month or something, you'll be selling some sort of like recordings package or something eventually, right? Yeah, definitely. You can actually sign up for the recordings now if you want. It's called the All Access Pass, and um, but it'll be available later too. So if you totally miss out and you're listening to this a month later, um, you can totally still get the the recordings and and uh, we threw in some bonuses there too. So um, yeah, cool. Well, people can find out more information at astrologyuniversity.com. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today to have this discussion. I really appreciate it. It was good talking to you. And um, yeah, if people have any uh, questions, they can leave them in the comment section below on the website or on the YouTube page for this episode if you're watching the video version. And uh, other than that, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. All right. Thanks. Thanks.